the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Should all the acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Yeah, there's a reason why I don't sing for a living. Of course, that was the beginning to Auld Lang Syne, the song that helps us bid farewell to the old year at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. Written by Robert Burns, a Scottish poet in 1788, it was based on an older Scottish folk song. In 1799, it was set to a traditional tune, which has since become the standard. The poem's title may be translated as Old Long Since, or less literally, Long Long Ago, or Times Long Past. I'm actually quite amazed in 235 years, we haven't come up with another song associated with New Year's. As we bid farewell to 2022 and look ahead to 2023, I welcome in my last guest of the year. He's no stranger to the show. His name is Ed Killer, outdoors reporter for tcpalm.com on Florida's Treasure Coast, encompassing Indian River, St. Lucie, and Martin Counties. Ed and I will discuss what you need to know about the great outdoors in Florida in 2023, as well as some other random topics. Stick around. I guarantee it will be entertaining. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast, to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Are you worried about frozen iguanas falling from trees? Maybe you should be. Do you plan to make any New Year's resolutions about eating better? Ed can tell you what popular fish will be in season over the next few months. Maybe you're in the market for a boat. Who knows? Let's bring in Ed so we can get down to business. Ed, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I started the podcast singing a stirring rendition of Auld Lang Syne. Did, did you want to belt out a line to it or two, or, or are you comfortable with where you are? Uh, no, we're okay with that. We don't have to, no singing from here, from me. <laughs> you know, I, I I was surprised. It says, should Auld, A-U-L-D, acquaintance be forgot? I always thought it was old acquaintance, but it's essentially the same word. It's just Scottish. I know, it's it's kind of funny how they just, how they change a few things in there just so sound different, you know? But I get it, I guess. Are there any other songs associated with New Year other than that? I, I can't really think of any. No, I I can't either. You and I got to we got to get together and write something then. <laughs> Actually, New Year's Day by U two. There's that. Oh, there you go. All right. I I think more New Year's is what probably associated with Dick Clark, and of course now you have uh, Ryan Seacrest who's aging like Dick Clark. So we'll have him for another fifty years, right? Yeah, we could put we could put the Times Square in there. We could put uh, the ball drop, or you know the like you know they do the guava drop in Tampa, or they do uh, different kinds of drops in different places. So uh, yeah, we could work all that into a new song if we wanted to uh, come up with a ditty. Yeah, you know there was a company here in Brevard County where I live called Lighting Science Group that for years did the light bulbs on the ball that dropped in Times Square. So that was always a cool story that we did every year. And, you know, I'd have to look up to see if they still do that, because quite frankly, I have no idea. Yeah, if they're not in the LED business, I guess uh, I guess they don't have the they don't have the contract anymore. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, they were actually one of the first company. In fact, they were the first company I ever bought an LED light bulb from. And this was probably going back 10 or 15 years, but it was $30 for one light bulb. Oh, no kidding. But, but they were supposed to be, you know, way more efficient and effective and cost savings than regular light bulbs. But now you can get them for like four or five bucks. Right. So anyhow, let's get to why we're here, which actually, I guess we're talking about why we're here, New Year's, but are are you a resolution person, Ed? You know, are you going to start on January 1, trying to hit the gym, diet, you know, get rid of all the regret from the last three months, or do you just say, eh, New Year, let's just keep trucking? You know, um, I I am a New Year's resolution guy. I've always, I've always believed in, um, in, in my birthday's in, in July, so it's the opposite of New Year's. So I use those two days as like my renewal uh, periods. You know, they're they're when I come up with the you know when when I do make commitments to lose weight and live better and eat better and all that. And usually by um, by December that all goes out the window. Usually the month of December, last couple of years, um, I spend it just you know eating and drinking and just living it up. And with the idea that on on January 1st, everything's going to change and we're, we're going to go completely the opposite direction. We're going to, we're going to walk more and eat less and drink less and all that stuff, you know, all those good things. So we, we start the year off with good intentions and, and I've used that, um, man, my whole life I've used, I've, I've been a new year's resolution kind of a guy. And uh, I, what I like to do too is as a, as a writer is I like to I like to come up with New Year's resolutions sometimes for for some of the organizations and agencies that are out there taking care of uh, Florida's wildlife. So I've I've written that column a few times. Um, I didn't do it this year, but uh, but but that's something I've always looked forward to. I always I always do look at it as a period of renewal. Well, being a cynical journalist, I've always looked at it as why do I want to make a New Year's resolution? Because then if I don't keep it, I'm letting myself down. So. You know, I, I guess I haven't made one in a few years. Is that a bad way for me to look at it, Ed? Yeah, that is a bad way. I, I always look <laughs> at it like, like uh, let's you know, let's make the best of intentions anyway, whether or not we we stick to it. And if we don't stick to it, we can be forgiven for that. But if we do stick to it, boy, more power to you. And and every once in a while, I'll see someone who who is able to stick to their resolutions and they're able to improve their lives or improve their health or improve things around them and. And, uh, you know, I'm always in, in a lot of admiration for them. So, so I know like this new year's, for instance, I know that I know there's a couple of things I'm going to do. Um, last couple of years I've, I've, uh, gone out on new year's day to see the sunrise at the beach. Uh, I live here on the treasure coast. So that's where I go. I go out on near, out the Jensen beach near where I live and we watch the sunrise come up and, um, I'm going to have my, uh, uh, black eyed peas and collard greens and ham hocks like we do every year. And the, you know, the collard greens are for uh, more money in the new year and the black eyed peas are for good, more, more pennies and, and nickels and dimes in the new year. So, um, and, and it usually works out for me. So I, I usually stick to those two traditions. If I, if I don't stick to my resolutions, at least I stick to those new year's traditions. Well, so the moral of the story is be more like Ed and less like cynical Tim. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you know, when we look back at the year, Ed, before we start looking at things in the new year, is there a story or a couple of stories, something maybe you wrote in 2022, an environmental story or something that really sticks out to you that, you know, you look at and say, you know, this is one of the things I'm really proud of that I did in 2022? 
Yeah, there was um there was a couple. Uh, one of them in particular was about a I told a story about a 12-year-old boy in Palm City who um caught a a Jack Cravel off the dock uh, near his house there in Palm City. You know, in Martin County, uh, where I live, there's a lot of waterfront property. So lots of people live in waterfront houses. And uh, this youngster um, and his his whole family, they're just a fishing frenzy kind of family. And they just go out there and they like casting their lines out there and see if they can catch them some snook or, you know, catch other things. But uh, this one day he had a Jack Creval on. And when he brought it in, he realized it was the biggest one he'd ever seen in his life. And he couldn't believe he even landed the, the fish. And when he weighed it on his scale, it weighed 58 pounds. And, um, since he was 12 years old, he qualified for an, an international game fish association, junior class world record for the species. Um, and, and in that category. So, they keep what they do is the IGFA keeps world records for junior anglers. They'll keep a um, an all tackle world. Re- they'll take they'll take a, a a record for a junior angler boy or and a junior angler girl. So he had a fifty his fifty eight pounder beat the world record by a couple pounds, and uh, they certified it a couple weeks later. So um, that was one of the that was like one of the first stories I told at the beginning of last year and course readers you know went crazy over it and uh, the, the story blew up but it was really kind of a cool story just a just a you know just a kid who just likes to fish and he's just out there catching things and enjoying you know interacting with the water every chance he gets to and he fishes in ponds and he fishes the canals around his house and he's always out and his dad's got a boat and they go fishing on the boat all the time and they go places and you know he's he lives a very lucky life he knows that but uh, for him to to hook a jack that big was really a certain certainly a special occasion. So that was kind of a cool story. Um, we did to, uh, we wrote a couple stories about um, about how the Army Corps of Engineers is approaching the way they're going to manage uh, Lake Okeechobee in the coming years. And um, I probably wrote about three stories about that, and one of them in particular, you know, hit on the fact that that what they really intended to do was they they're trying the army corps of engineers is trying to make about 24 different user groups of the water around lake okeechobee happy and the different user groups have different priorities and different needs some user groups don't want any water some user groups want some water some user groups want to control the water and have just as much as they is what they need, but they always want to have some held back in case there's a supply need. And there's some user groups that just they, they want the water to be clean and they kept kept lower for ecological reasons. And some user groups want the water to go to the Everglades, but there's no mechanism to move it there. So it, it's really a, a complicated story, but being able to tell that story you know, a couple times to people to be able to frame it with different angles and different different points of view uh, is something I was uh, I was really glad to be able to do. And another story I told um, this is the last one I'll tell you, but the la- one of the stories I told, which I just think is a cool story, I don't think our readers really clicked into it that much, but um, the. Coastal Conservation Association of Florida, which is an angler advocacy group for recreational anglers, had started a 
a, an effort about a year ago of what they called Release the East. Actually, it started in 2019, started raising money for it. Last year, they caught the brood stock for the redfish that they want to release in the East Coast and the Atlantic Coast of Florida. But the redfish, they had to catch them in the Cocoa Beach area. And they caught these really nice big redfish and they got some brood stock from them. They raised them up in these ponds and through the Mariculture Center for uh, Duke Energy Mariculture, which is over near Hudson, over near Crystal River area. And, um, and when they got large enough to release them back into the Indian River Lagoon and also into Volusia County waters and also down, uh, down to the south a little bit, down near Martin County, um, they, they've started this effort to release 100,000 redfish into these waters. And they, they've, they were able to do that in the last like six weeks. They were able to release about 100,000 redfish. They're, the redfish are about um, five to six inches long. And uh, they're going to grow up to be larger redfish, redfish that we can catch. Um, right now in the Indian River Lagoon system, we have a rule from the Florida Fish and Wildlife that says you have to release all the redfish that you do catch. But by the time these these guys are big enough, uh, 18 to 27 inches, to take home for dinner, um, that that rule is probably going to be rescinded and we'll probably go be able to take one home again for dinner um, every now and again. So it, it was a it was a pretty cool program to be able to go from, you know, a three year long program to raise the hundred thousand dollars necessary to catch the brood stock, to take the brood, the, 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 the spawn from them, to grow them out and then to re-release them back into the East coast waters of Florida. I thought it was a pretty cool thing. It's the first time they've ever been able to do this on any kind of large scale. And, um, it was a very successful effort from, from all reports so far. And so um, it's very, we're very eager to see how, how that program fleshes out as we, as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that, you know, it's nice that you were able to look back at your work and find some positive news stories. You know, I'm sure you've written very serious stories and environmental impact stories, but, you know, you were able to pluck up some ones that, you know, show some really good work, you know, a, a kid catching a record fish and, you know, people trying to fix problems. And so that's really good to hear. Uh, because Lord knows uh, there's enough bad news stories out there. And of course, there were plenty of those in 2022. But, you know, some of the topics that are current right now and stories that are maybe a little bit unusual, and this one pops up this time every year, Ed, is this thing about iguanas freezing and falling from trees and people picking them up and putting them in their cars and then they reanimate and scare the ever-living crap out of people. You know, we had 30, 32 degree weather here in central Florida last week. It was even colder to the north. And, you know, so these type of things happen. So how far north now, because these iguanas used to mainly be in the Keys and, and below Miami, and now they're working their way up the Treasure Coast. So, you know, where potentially could we see frozen iguanas falling from trees? And, uh, you know, what temperatures do they generally go to this catatonic state? Well, I, you know, certainly we had the low enough temperatures. And the, the other thing that was kind of unusual about the low temperatures we had is that generally we have a pretty quick uh, bounce back of, of warmer temperatures, which pop right back up, you know, like a day or two later. But that, that didn't happen this time. I and mean, we had we had cool weather for three or four days. In fact, um, I saw a, a meteorologist who I follow and who lives down in Miami. He was saying that this was the only the fifth time in in Miami's recorded weather history where they've had three consecutive days below fifty degrees. And um, 
you know, I remember last one of the, one of those times was in January of 2010, which was crazy. But so I think that the, what happens with iguanas is when they get to about 50 degrees to 45 degrees, they start to really kind of slow down a little bit. But when it goes a little lower than that and it can stay in and the other part of the equation is the time period it stays at the low level, you know, because it stayed in those in those below 40 for, you know, we're looking at, you know, like eight, 10 hours to stay below 40 each time. Um, it really stunned the iguanas. Anything north of um, anything north of Palm Beach County. Uh, we we actually saw saw some iguanas in Stewart that fell out of trees and <laughs> around docks and stuff like that, and and they died. They got they were killed from the cold weather. So it was cold enough, long enough to actually stop their stop them their hearts beating and and stop them from from living. Um, we we found a dead pelican, uh, dead freshwater turtles. So we saw some we saw some cold kill down here in Martin County. Um, we the iguanas right now. I haven't heard of any in Indian River County or farther north. Maybe they, maybe they are. Maybe there's some in Brevard or Indian River County, but the only ones that I've heard of or seen with any um, any reliability have been as far north as St. Lucie County. And the one thing I've noticed is that is that when these invasive invasive lizards, especially when they start to spread, they're spreading up the waterways. They're spreading along the shorelines of like the Indian River Lagoon and the St. Lucie River. Um, I've been way up in the North Fork of the St. Lucie River. This is just, you know, within the last, with, back in May was the last time I saw this. We were up in, um, we were in, you know, central part of Port St. Lucie in the St. Lucie River. And there's this one, one area where there's a lot of um, um, older growth woods. And there was this one tree, like an oak tree that was hanging over top of the river you know, maybe 20 feet over the river. And there was a big, big giant male iguana just, you know, hanging out on the tree there back in May. So wherever that guy is, he's probably, he probably got cold stunned or even he might've even been killed for all I know by the cold weather. But when it gets, when it you know, a little bit farther to the South, if it didn't get below 40 for very long, if it was only like maybe a four hour or five hour stint, there's a good chance that those iguanas there reanimated um, once once the temperatures got back up above 50, like yesterday. Now today it's 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 there's some sunshine and um, we finally have the break in the cloud cover down this way, and so there was some significant warming going on. You can still feel cool weather, cool air coming from the northwest, but uh, on the south sides of buildings and south sides of structures where you do have the sun sunshine and the, the shelter from the wind, it's actually 10 degrees warmer on the south side of a building than it is on the north side of a building today. So, um, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a good chance that a lot of these, a lot of these um, reptiles that were slowed down um, are actually you know, out starting to move around again. Well, it, the good news is looking at the extended weather forecast, it looks like we're going to be up 70 degrees or higher, at least in the central Florida region through about January 8th or 9th. So no fallbacks for the next couple of weeks, which is good news. But are there any other animals that you know of that do like the iguana where they essentially freeze and fall out of trees? Is there anything else that we have to be watching for that can freeze and reanimate? You know, there's there's a lot of stuff, uh, Tim. Um you, you know, you've got, um, I'll try to be quick about it, but the, you know, we have birds that actually get affected by the weather. It's weird. So sometimes, you know, we see some problems with birds. 
Um, like I mentioned the Pelican earlier, but when, you know, usually Pelicans are okay. I'm not sure, you know, the, the, this Pelican we found that died was died from the cold, but I'm assuming it did. Um, but, um, we see, um, sometimes, uh, fish, the water temperature stays, stays cool too long, but, um, you know, pythons, which is probably the Florida's most famous invasive species, uh, they really can be affected by the cold weather. Now, I don't know that it got cold enough, long enough down where they live. They're, they really haven't been found north of, uh, like, into Palm Beach County. They've only been found in, you know, the Everglades and Big Cypress and that area from Collier County to Lee County across over to Miami-Dade and, um, you know, Monroe and, of course, in uh, Broward County. But... Um, but I don't think it got that cold. I get. I don't think it got cold enough, long enough to really cause a problem for them. When it, in 2010, when it got uh, really cold for about 10 days, and it was several of those days were below 30. They they had a problem where it really did uh, it, it did kill some pythons, some of the bigger pythons that weren't able to get under under into places to get um, any kind of warming whatsoever so some of the larger pythons were found uh killed by the cold out there in the everglades however some of the smaller pythons some of the males and some of the ones that are, were younger um they're able to get in these they're able to crawl in these limestone little caverns and holes that they have uh, in the ground in the everglades and and some of them were able to get in get themselves into uh, the palmetto root systems and 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 that would give them just enough protection from the cold to just allow them to be, you know, catatonic or cold in the cold stunned state for like a day or two without another predator finding them. And, and once the warmer temperatures came back, they were, they reanimated from what I understood when I heard from back then. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what, how it affects Tegu lizards or monitor lizards, but they're both, you know, been found in Florida. Now they're running around out there. Um, I did find uh, some agama lizards that were cold stunned. Those red-headed agamas, they're, they're, I think they're from Africa, but they're smaller than iguana um, and more, a little more colorful. But we've got them certainly from uh, Martin County down to the south, all the way to Miami-Dade, Monroe County. Um, so, the, so some of those in the northern part here, like Martin County, were cold stunned. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things you got to kind of keep an eye on. One of the things that I always look for are the fish too. Now I don't, I haven't heard of any fish being found, but when it gets, when the, when the air temperature gets down in the thirties, the water temperature can get as low as the fifties on our, in our coastal areas and even lower in our lakes and the interior. And when that happens, non, non-native species um, can actually get cold, stunned or killed. And so back in 2010, we, we really saw a lot of situations where we saw the, um, um, it was called the uh, sailfin catfish. It's also called the placostomus. It's like the, the, the one we're familiar you know, with being in uh, aquarium tanks. Well, they're all over the lakes and canals of uh, South Florida. And when the cold weather came, it just killed all them. They just floated up to the surface, like half of them floated up to the surface. Um, Mayan cichlids got killed. Uh, we saw uh, Oscars that got killed. And, you know, I, I'm, it's escaping. We also had a lot of native fish that got killed. We had a lot of snook that got killed. Uh, mohara, which are also called goatfish. We saw some uh, lookdowns. Lots of lookdowns got killed. 
Uh, the Indian River Lagoon was just terrible, and so was uh, the Keys, and so was Southwest Florida. Um, you know, ten thousand islands down there near uh, Naples and Marco Island was it was it was a mess down there. So these you know the cold weather can really can really wreak havoc on tropical species of fish, you know, native and non-native that that live in Florida. And we really had a problem with snook in the South Florida part of the uh, territory. You know, back in 2010, it was really, really bad how, how many snook got killed. And it was it was such a widespread snook kill that the Florida Fish and Wildlife put a moratorium on harvest of snook for a, a couple of years in, in the whole state of Florida because people, you know, could could easily, if you caught them, you'd be depleting the resource even more than what, it, what nat- Mother Nature had already depleted it. Um, but one of the things we saw, I'll never forget, we had a situation in the St. Lucie River in 2010 where it was so cold that it you know, killed non-native fish. And a guy found a fish and he floating dead, picked it up out of the river, took a picture of it and sent the picture to me. And he asked what it was. I said, yeah, I think that's a, a Paku, which is a, a type of fish that lives in the Amazon River. And I'm I'm assuming it had been somebody's pet in an aquarium, and then they when they're getting rid of the aquarium, they just turned the fish loose in the river. Well, without any boundaries on the fish, these fish normally are about you know five to ten pounds, but this fish in the St. Lucie River had grown to 51 pounds. It was giant. It's it's an actually it eats vegetables of all things. It eats like uh, nuts and fruit and that kind of stuff when it falls in the river. And um, it's got these big, like crushing teeth, like molars, but it looks like a, it looks a lot like a piranha. It's the same, like kind of body shape and head shape and eyes and all that, but it actually eats, you know, fruits and nuts. And uh, but this fish was, it was the gravid female, according to Dr. Grant Gilmore, who examined the uh, carcass. Um, so it, it, it was a, a fish that was producing, <laughs> it was producing eggs. So um, it, that that was that was an eye opener for all of us, but uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. That that would have been a world record too if you could have caught it. It would have been a world record on any in the IGFA. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I've seen pictures of those fish, and they do look like they have human teeth. It's really creepy. Yeah, it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah. And and I certainly remember 2010 because even though I covered my plants outside, they they pretty much all died out front of my house. So. Yeah, we haven't quite seen that type of cold, and luckily, uh, we only saw three days of it this past week, and and not you know too many days of it. But as far as fishing goes, though, Ed, you know, uh, I've been reading recently about you know recreational gag grouper season, and you know, for those of us who aren't you know familiar with a lot of these seasons, you know, this one's closed from January through April. Can you explain what's going on there, and what are some of the other fishing seasons that are actually open for the next couple of months? So. The the gag grouper season, um, it, it's they call it the in federal fishery vernacular they call it the the shallow water grouper complex, which is it res, it refers to nine different species of of grouper, and what they've decided to do this is probably this rule's probably been in a place for about fifteen years now. Um, what they wanted to do was protect certain species of grouper during their spawning season. So they figured out that they come in and spawn on these reefs where a lot of anglers fish. They spawn on these reefs in from January through um, April. So they they made a closed season for it. So you can't harvest any of these species. And the main ones, I, I can't go through all of them, but the main ones are gag grouper, which are very common to Florida anglers, 
uh, red grouper, black grouper, um, scamp, and speckled hind is another one, but that's like a lesser species. And then there's a couple other lesser, lesser species, you know, grazeby and things like that. But uh, these other species, those are the main ones you catch on the reefs, you know, especially from Jacksonville down to, you know, down to Key West, really. So, and then uh, also in the Gulf Coast. And so, although the Gulf fishing seasons are a little different, um, but mainly this rule applies to the Atlantic coast of Florida um, and in state and federal waters. And uh, it's a complete harvest closure for those, for nine species of, of grouper and an effort to protect them and to allow their uh, numbers to come back. And one of the reasons why, why they do that is because the grouper are, um, they're kind of a unique fish where they, they don't, um, they, it takes them to like, to basically they have to be about seven years old before they get to sexual maturity. And in the, in a world of saltwater fish, that's like an eternity. So, you know, the, Federal and state fishery managers are trying to do everything they can to, to protect that the fish and to try to give them a chance to you know spawn a couple times before they actually get caught and harvested. Um, so that's one of the reasons why they have that closure. Uh, they also have a closure during during this time of year for snook. So from December fifteenth until until February first, you're not allowed to keep a snook uh, in Atlantic coast waters. Uh, or Gulf Coast waters, but mostly Atlantic Coast waters. You, they, you have to let them go. Uh, and again, it's uh, because of the cooler weather and the cooler water. Snook have a tendency to 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 get a little cold stunned, or sometimes they actually will will be they will be seen in shallow water or near the surface where they're trying to sun and get some warmth, and it makes them very susceptible to being harvested. And um, so the state has put a, a law out there saying that uh, you're not allowed to harvest them in that six week period uh, to give them, a, you know, give them a break basically. Um, and we're also wrapping up a trout season, car, uh, harvest season closure. So in November and December, you're not allowed to harvest any trout, any spotted sea trout along the East coast of Florida. So, that will um, expire on January 1st, and you will be able to catch them and keep them after that. But uh, but these are all efforts. And, and you know, before anybody, you know, anglers like to gripe about how you know the government's always taking the fish away and the government's taking that fish away. Well, the one thing I want everybody to remember is is Florida is a state that we have 1,500 people a day that are moving here, and of those 1,500 people, about 25% of them are going to get fishing licenses. And uh, close to that number are going to be fishing. So it's one of those things that, that the state and the federal managers have to come up with some kind of way to protect the resources. Because if they don't do anything about it, then we're going we're gonna to overfish ourselves right into, you know, we're going to overfish these resources faster than they can replenish themselves. So that's one of the reasons why they have to put these rules into effect. It's really to protect the fish from us. Because as we get to be better and better fishermen and like electronics get better, um, you know, people like myself, we write articles telling you how to go catch the fish and where to catch the fish. You know, so those things, those things help these anglers get better at what they're doing. And pretty soon the fish are going to be gone. So that's one reason why we do all that. 
Absolutely. So in other words, for people who want to do that New Year's resolution of eating more fish in the new year, make sure you research your rules if you're going to go out and catch them. So Ed, that's great information. And again, you can always read all of Ed's stuff at tcpalm.com to follow along because he's always up on the seasons and what the rules are and what you're allowed to do. So Ed, the next thing I want to talk about, this is one of my favorites. I, I'd like to make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to go buy a yacht. But then again, I'd have to have a New Year's resolution that I'm going to get a job that pays me to buy a yacht. But we have the International Boat Show coming up, the Miami International Boat Show. And this is one of my favorite things to look at photos in the photo gallery of whenever we go down and cover those because some of those boats are absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, t talk about the show that's coming up, Ed. I know sometimes you'll go down there and cover it. And, uh, you know, do you think that you and I, maybe we could chip in and buy something that looks like the super yacht owned by Jaguars owner Shad Khan? Uh, I don't think we're going to... Maybe we can buy a model of it. That's yeah. that's, yeah, that's what we could do. Um, yeah, the boat show season, that's that's one thing the wintertime always signifies in Florida. You know, we've already had the Fort Lauderdale boat show, and we have the Miami boat show coming up on uh, Valentine's Day weekend is when that is. Palm Beach boat show is also a pretty well-attended show, and that comes up about a month later in March. Um, but one of the sneaky shows that sneaks in is usually, is the Stewart boat show, and that's a pretty good show. That's the biggest one uh, from pretty much from Stewart anywhere to the north. Um, so that's a good one to go to. And that's in January. That comes up right after the new year, usually about January 10th, that second weekend. Usually the weather is perfect for it. There's a cold front that comes through, a little bit of rain, just, just enough to keep people from wanting to be actually on their boats. So they instead, they go to the boaters, go to the boat show, and they, kick, they go around, they we, instead of kicking tires, we the, the boat the boat dealers call it they spin props. People go in there and they they go check out what the latest uh, latest newest styles are. The the Miami Boat Show. The one thing about that that's probably coming up this year, and it's based you know it's a lot of this is based on last year, but the boat building industry right right now is still going very very strong. And one thing these guys learned about is they learned a couple years ago. The last time we had a recession back in 08 and 09, that was when everybody was just, you know, all you needed was a, uh, a down payment and a couple boat payments and you you could enjoy the boating lifestyle. You could you could get yourself a nice 30 foot center console and all you had to do was, you know, put a couple grand down and you were off and running. And then what a lot of people did is is when the we had the downturn and the recession and money got tight again. A lot of boat owners just said, "Hey, well, they just told the bank, just come get the boat. I don't care. I'll, I'll give it up. I don't. I don't really care. I won't make the rest of the payments on it. You can come take it." So, uh, the boating industry kind of learned a lesson. The boat builders and manufacturers, you know, from the 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 glut of inventory that was on the market back in 0809, they learned how to become a little bit more recession proof. And even with these rising interest rates. They're still trying to catch up on orders from from back six or eight months ago, and they're able to offer people deals that are, that are just unbelievable deals, and people are snapping it up. Now, prices are high, and insurance is like impossible to get, and insurance was impossible to get before the hurricanes hit. Um, it was actually a, 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 a side effect of things like boat theft and engine theft and electronics theft. And there's these rings that go around Florida stealing boat motors and stealing electronics. Um, but um, but still, people want to enjoy that boating lifestyle. And like I mentioned earlier about, you know, 1,500 people a day moving to Florida. 
Well, if they're not going fishing, one thing they also want to do is they want to go boating. So we have a million registered vessels in Florida now. It's the most in the country of any state in the country. Um, you know, people enjoy getting out there and having the freedom to spend a day on the water. Um, and they're, they're, they're making the means possible. They're finding ways in their budgets and in their incomes to go ahead and do this. And the Miami Boat Show is a great place to see these things because the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show is more geared towards that, that shod con, that, 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 that yacht, that mega yacht and super yacht guy. So all of the accessories and all of the things that go along with the yachting lifestyle, you can find that at the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show. But the Miami Boat Show is a little bit geared towards more of the family man or the person who is looking to, you know, I mean, they've got the high-end boat, too. They've got the, the 50-foot center console with five uh, outboards on the back. But they've got a lot of the, the you know, the 28-foot center console with two outboards on the back that, that they can find a way to get you into. Now, you know, you and me, Tim, is still, still a heavy price to pay. But believe me, I, I see so many of these boats on the water and so many of these boats at marinas every day. I'm like, well, I don't know where the money's coming from. It didn't, it didn't come from my pocket. But uh, these people are actually out there and enjoy it, and they're, they're able to enjoy these these boats. And there's probably, you know, two dozen manufacturers that are based right here in Florida that are taking advantage of that situation where, they know that people come down here. They have easy public access to the waterways. They they want to be out there, you know, going to the sandbars on the weekends and going fishing on, uh, you know, you know, going fishing on a Saturday, going out to the sandbar on a Sunday, you know, going for, going bar hopping on a on a Sunday afternoon or doing whatever they want to do when they're out there on those boats and cruising around and enjoying themselves. So they were able to take advantage of, of putting that kind of product out there on the market for these people to enjoy themselves. Um, so it's 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 pretty good deal. And, and one thing I, th- I expect to see, maybe maybe a little bit of this Miami Boat Show, but maybe the next one is even more, like next like the one in 2024. At this one, there's probably going to be a little bit of the electronic or the um, electric motors. You're going to see a little bit more of uh, electric technology coming into the boating market they've been really trying hard to, to develop this and there's been some european companies that have come come through with some things but the two things they're still struggling with with electric motors is they can't get quite get the power they want to get and they can't quite get the range that they want to get so we're still looking at you know shorter trips for these boats that have electric power and um, you've got to get to a charging station or you're going to develop a situation where there's a charging station and there's no network for that right now. So we're still a few years off from really that becoming a, a boom in the boating market, but it's coming. That's the next thing coming down the line. I can tell you that right now. Well, yeah, maybe once Elon Musk figures out Twitter, he can get involved with creating electric boat engines. And then, Ed, you and I, we could go into business by having electric charging stations out in the middle of the ocean. What do you think about that? Oh my God! You know, uh, all, all we need to do is is set up like go to every sandbar in Florida, all the popular sandbars where everybody gathers on weekends, and start putting in like charging stations. You know, these cool little charging stations. I mean, what could go wrong? Electric, electric <laughs> power and boats in the water. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, absolutely nothing. Well, I didn't say we would uh, accept liability for what we'd be doing. Well, I just came up with the idea. <laughs> We're going to have a waiver that excuses me and you at every charging station. 
I, I have to sidetrack things mentioning Elon Musk, Ed, because you know he he probably has one of the largest stories this year that has to do with pop culture. But what would you say was a bigger story? Would you go with Elon Musk buying Twitter, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's trial with all of the craziness and people pooping on the bed and stuff, or Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars? Which do you go with out of those three stories? You know, you know that's 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 hysterical. I think uh, Elon Musk has a lot of attention right now because you know, I mean, my first thought, and maybe that that shows why I'm I'm broken. He's not, but <laughs> why would you spend any money on Twitter? That's that was just my my takeaway from that is let alone forty four billion dollars. I don't I don't know. I mean, is he going to make forty four billion on that? I don't know. Um, the Amber Heard thing that was. That that kind of captured the imagination of so many people. I th- I really think that was probably a bigger story. I think there was more people that maybe you know aren't on Twitter, but were following that story through all the tabloids and and uh, on you know Entertainment Tonight and on the on, on through those those you know and on USA Today and those kind of subjects. They were they were following that Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial and 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 I couldn't believe all the you know there was so many people that were you know, team, team Depp on that one. That was the thing that kind of surprised me, you know, and then the Will Smith thing, you know, I watched it unfold in, in real time. And I just, I just thought it was just weird and awkward. And I knew there was not going to be anything good that came out of it. And, you know, it was a big story too, but I, I kind of, I, I think the biggest story out of those three was the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I think that was the biggest of the three, if you ask me. Well, there you go. Yeah, that was certainly one that uh, each day, every time a new uh, leaf of the onion was peeled off, it it certainly got more and more interesting. But now, it, getting back to the other subject, you know, if if a yacht is not on your wish list for 2023, Ed, what do you got in store? What do you got coming up? Are you going to be doing any projects, boating? Are you going to take up pickleball like everybody else in Florida? What's going on with the killer household in 2023? Oh. I'm going to be the last guy to not play pickleball. <laughs> so we'll put that out there right now. Um, I, every time I play disc golf at a place where near where people play pickle golf and we always laugh, we always just watch them out there. And we were all, me and my friend, my disc golf friends were all used to be big racquetball players and we were pretty good racquetball players. And we just look at pickleball. Like, like once we step into that arena, we're going to smear everybody, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, one one of the things we're going to be following this year is there's going to be some developments coming up. Like first of all, in March, the Florida Fish and Wildlife is going to open its first ever Goliath grouper harvest, and uh, you know they got very it's very restricted and there's very very tight rules and they're only going to allow 200 to be harvested and there's a s- size range and all this stuff. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting, but it's going to be one of those controversial hot button outdoors topics that I think people are really going to get into. They're really going to want to know what's going on with that. One thing is there's going to be data that comes out of it about the Goliath grouper that scientists have not in the research community have not been able to research for years. And it's going to really going to unlock some, uh, some, some answers on some things like how long they, the fish can live, what kind of things the fish actually are eating so there'll be some there'll be some questions answered there that'll be very very interesting to find out when they do open that that season. A second thing that's going to happen this year is there's been there's research already underway right now on a product that's actually sold by I'm going to plug one company here for a minute. It's called Shark Bands. 
they have a, a product called a Zeppelin and it's like a, it looks like about a six ounce lead sinker that you would use for grouper fishing offshore. And it's, it's, it's magnetic. So there's no, there's no on and off switch. There's no need to charge it. It's just as is when you take it out of the box, it's ready to go. And there's some research going on along the East coast of Florida to, to understand how well it's able to repel sharks coming up and eating the fish that you're trying to catch. Like if you're trying, if you say you catch a snapper and you're trying to reel it up to the surface of the, where the, where the boat is, you've got to reel it up through 180 feet of water. Next thing you know, a shark will grab it before the snapper gets all the way to the boat. Well, that's become a problem in recent years for, you know, 10% of the angling community out there. So there's research underway to figure out how much a community is impacted by the shark depredation, how, how much this product can or cannot uh, help um, deter sharks feeding on your catch. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of data there that's going to be coming out in the next, you know, it may be more than a year, but it's probably most of the work is going to be, be underway this year. So it'll be interesting to see um, where the scientists get on that. There are a bunch of group, a bunch of scientists working out of Harbor Branch uh, Oceanographic Institute in Fort Pierce, working with the group of fishermen on that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that, how that pans out. Um, and the other, the other thing is, is, is what, what, where do we go with this Lake Okeechobee situation and where that's going to pan out? Um, we saw the Army Corps of Engineers didn't have to do any discharges this year for about the fourth year in a row that were damaging to either, either coastal estuary in the Caloosahatchee River near Fort Myers or in the St. Lucie River near Stewart. But, um, when those hurricanes hit, Hurricanes Ian and Nicole, it did cause Hurricane Ian dumped 16 inches of rain up near Kissimmee, and all of that water trickled down the Kissimmee River to the south and into Lake Okeechobee, and it caused Lake Okeechobee to rise about a foot and a half. Fortunately, the lake was already at a low level, but it it got to about the level that they that the Army Corps feels feels okay with not with it being at this time of year, but. Will it will that water level come down far enough before next the next time we have a tropical storm next summer? You know, will will there be a situation where they have to discharge water into these coastal estuaries? We already know there's a red tide event going on in the west coast of the Gulf Coast of Florida between Sarasota and Fort Myers and St. Pete. You know, is is that going to be exacerbated by any kind of you know freshwater discharges that come out of Lake Okeechobee? And when they do come. Um, we know we're going to have an algae bloom next summer. Is that going to be a human health hazard that's going to be creating a problem? And the final thing I think I'm looking at in 2023 is what? Do, how are we doing with this manatee situation? We had such a die-off in 2021. 2022 wasn't much better. In fact, it was it it, it was it wasn't worse, but it was it continued on in about the same same problem it was in 2021. And will this this die-off continue in 2023 from starvation? Um, will the feeding program that's going on at, um, just south of Titusville there on at the Canaveral Energy Center, will that, you know, that's owned by Florida Power and Light, will that continue to be seemingly successful um, during these cold weather weekends that we're getting? Um, you know, those are some things that we're going to be looking at as we go forward into 2023. All right, Ed. Well, we can, we're going to be reading all of your work there again at tcpalm.com. And if people want to follow along with you on social media, Ed, where can they find you? 
You can find me at, at TC Palm E Killer on uh, Twitter and Instagram. At least on my Twitter, as long as Elon lets me stay there for a while. <laughs> Maybe you can, uh, you know, is it a gold check mark now that you get instead of a blue check mark? Maybe you can get the right color check mark and you'll be on there forever. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get a rainbow colored one. See if it'll <laughs> let me have that. <laughs> all right, Ed. Well, I appreciate it. And again, you can find all his work at tcpalm.com and in the pages of the Vero Beach Press Journal the St. Lucie News, and the Stewart News. So, Ed, you know, it's always great talking to you. I always feel like I'm at least an iota smarter and a smidgen happier. So, Happy New Year to you and your family. And I'll be talking to you real soon as we begin, believe it or not, Season 3 of this podcast in 2023. Season 3, that's incredible. Well, thanks for having me, Tim, and Happy New Year to you, too. All righty, thanks. And that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And I'll close out the year with a quote credited to the great unknown. Every year, you make a resolution to change yourself. This year, make a resolution to be yourself. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining me in 2022. And make it a point to visit us again in 2023. I appreciate every single download I receive. Thank you and see you next year. 